You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Many of us really love Martin Luther. Maybe he has a phrase or a passage or just his life story is inspirational for us. Maybe it even really kind of rocked us out of our trying to strive to justify ourselves before God and letting us know that the gospel is the free grace in Jesus Christ. The phrase, the sentence that I have been obsessed with recently goes like this. Though every man be a liar, Christ is no liar. Though everyone be a liar, God is no liar. Why do I begin the sermon with that great phrase? It's because, and I want you to look closely at our gospel lesson, in both the first and the second temptations of Satan, and implicitly in the third, he begins by saying, if you are the son of man. He's essentially trying to get Jesus to doubt his identity, to doubt his vocation. If you're at all familiar with Matthew, you know that the baptism of Jesus happens directly before Jesus being cast out into the wilderness and experiencing these temptations. And at the baptism of Jesus, what does the voice of God say? This is my son, whom I love. And later on, it will say, listen to him. But essentially, at the baptism of Jesus, God declares that Jesus is the Son of God. This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Immediately after that episode, Satan is saying, if you are the Son of God, are you the Son of God? Here, Satan, the tempter, the accuser, is showing himself as a liar. He is trying his hardest to veer Jesus off the course of his vocation. And this is why the passage we read last week, the transfiguration, if you remember right after Jesus is transfigured, Jesus then tells Peter, the Son of Man will suffer, die, and the third day be raised, etc. And Peter, I guess, didn't hear the whole resurrect part. Peter says, oh no, 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 by no means will you suffer and die. That's not the paradigm for the Messiah, for the Son of God. And that is when Jesus says those famous words, get behind me, Satan. Maybe you've been disturbed that Jesus calls his best friend Satan. But the reason why he calls him Satan in this instance is because Peter is echoing unwittingly the temptations of Satan to get Jesus to veer off the course of his vocation, to question his identity, which is to suffer and die on your behalf and mine, on our behalf and in our place. Now let's take a step back. What is going on in these temptations? Well, back, way back in the second century, a church father named Tertullian said, that in the temptations, Jesus is recapitulating 
the experience of the people of Israel. He's reliving the experience of the people of God in the wilderness. The people of God had experienced the exodus, the parting of the Red Sea waters, and then they're in the wilderness, and well, you all know how that went. Jesus, in the episode right before this, experiences his own exodus in his baptism in the Jordan, and right after coming out of the waters, he is driven out into the wilderness. The first temptation echoes Israel's grumbling in the wilderness. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. The devil says, turn these stones into bread. It echoes what the people of God did in the wilderness, grumbling, saying essentially we'd rather go back into slavery than live into the new life. The second temptation, Moses rebukes the Israelites for having put their God to the test in the wilderness. In Jesus' temptation, Jesus says, I will not put the Lord my God to the test. The third temptation, the ultimate temptation for Matthew Bow down before me and I'll give you all the kingdoms in their glory. This echoes the people of God right after their deliverance, bowing down before the golden calf. Do you see what's going on here? It ends up being much more than a call of Lent to remember our mortality and to repent. Sure, we're to remember our mortality. Yes, we're to repent. It's good news that one day we will no longer return back to the vomit of our own sins because our sin is toxic for us. But the thing is, the people of God in the wilderness, who when I was a boy thought, how could you possibly do this? God has done so much for you. I forgot to look at my own life and realize that I too Grumble all the time. I, too, have failed. I, too, have submitted to the devil. Now, if you remember back on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I said, and others have said from this pulpit, when we think of Christmas Day, we should not think of it as being this cute thing. I mean, of course, we're going to think of it as cute. The nativity play is amazing. But much more than that, then the incarnation is the invasion of the cosmos. God in Christ invading a world ruled by sin and death. The world that so often enslaves us. So it's not cute, it's an invasion. And here in the temptation narrative, we see Jesus head-to-head combat with Satan. Only, just like in the incarnation, it's not how we would have had it. Jesus was not born to an emperor's son to change the world. And here, this combat, it's, it doesn't look like the combat we want. It's not that Lord of the Rings, both armies going into each other and the good side wins. Oh, the way that combat takes place looks a whole lot like the experience of Israel in the wilderness, where we, the people of God, have failed. God in Jesus has succeeded. Where Adam capitulated to temptation, the new Adam succeeds. He wins in this hand-to-hand combat. 
So you see, the temptation narrative is much more so than us trying to figure out, well, how do these temptations relate to the temptations in my own life? It's not less than that, but it's much more than that. It's showing us a microcosm of the gospel, that God in Jesus has defeated the powers of sin and death. He won this battle. And ultimately, this points to the cross where he won the war, liberating us from sin and death. And because he has done this for you, for me, in our place and on our behalf, what this means is that Christ has grafted us into his life. We have been united with Christ. And what that means is that same voice that said over Jesus, you are my son, with you I am well pleased, because we have been united with Christ, that same voice says over you and me, you are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased. This news is too good to be true. I mean, think about it. We baptize infants here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent. And when an infant is baptized, I mean, you're really supposed to, I mean, following the Jews, right? On the eighth day, circumcision. On the eighth day, baptism. If you weren't baptized on the eighth day, that's fine. That said, it's to show us that we haven't really had time to bring anything to the table. Babies don't have this, this merit that they're bringing. They're not even bringing the free decision to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord. Maybe, as Augustine says, they're bringing a whole lot of selfishness. I don't want to get into that, but you get the idea. When we are baptized, we are baptized into the baptism of Jesus. And what that means is that same voice over Jesus, that voice says those words over you and me. You are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased. And what this means is that as we go through these 40 days and we experience the temptations of our lives, do not submit to the devil's lies. The devil is saying the same thing to you and me. If you are a child of God, dot, dot, dot. The devil is a liar. We need not submit. And in fact, it would be good for us not to submit. But the even better news is when we do submit, which I do all the time, and I don't really know why, because I know it's bad for me, it does not change the fact that that voice is said over you and me. You are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased. There was one who succeeded in his hand-to-hand combat with the devil. It was not the people of God of the First Testament. It is not you and me. It is the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. The God-man who has incorporated us into his life. And when that means that you and I have been declared sons and daughters of God, we may experience the devil's temptations which make us doubt our identity and doubt our vacations. But when we fail, do not trust the devil. Though every man be a liar, Christ is no liar.
The devil is trying to get you to doubt God's promises. And though everyone else be a liar, we can trust that those words over you and me are indelible. For God in Christ is no liar. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.